As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, everyone? Today's episode is very special for a few reasons. We're coming to you from our amazing downtown studio, and our guest is in person and a very dear friend. She's a personal coach in the wellness, fitness, and lifestyle space. I'm sure a lot of you know her by her tagline, 1% better every damn day. You know it. (laughs) She's single-handedly built herself into her own brand by sharing a vulnerable, honest look inside her life. I'm talking about the one and only Kayla Jeter, <laughs> fit and full by Kayla on all social media platforms. Kayla, you're here. Thank uh, you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation and be here with you and just dive into all of it. So it's funny because the last few episodes I've had, well, not a, the last three episodes have not all been friends, people I know well. One friend, mm-hmm. now two. <laughs> and when I launched the podcast, I was like, I can't have my friends on as brilliant as they are because people are going to (laughs) think I'm a loser who can't get guests. But then this year I'm like, no, my friends really are brilliant and they have so much to teach people, myself included. Why the fuck not have my friends on? Entirely. I mean, I think the one thing that's really special about Chicago and me being a Cleveland native now live in Chicago for five years is that Chicago has a lot of movers and shakers, change makers, people doing a lot of really dope things. Uh And when you're around people doing dope things or you're doing dope things yourself, we naturally attract to each other, which is, I feel like, how we came in to be in space together. 100%, (laughs) which I would love to get into. But first, I usually start with a question about how sport influenced someone's someone's life, what their relationship to sport was like growing up. But I wanted to start with a different one for you. What would the younger you think about where you are right now? (laughs) I had to hit you with something like introspective because you're so good at introspection. I appreciate that. Younger Kayla could not imagine where I am now. Mm -hmm. She couldn't even dream about where I am now. And I even think about three years ago, five Uh years ago, Kayla couldn't even have pictured, you know, the path I'd go on to be in the position I am now. And I think she would be proud. She would be impressed. She'd be inspired. She'd be motivated. Um, And she would be like, damn, I can just be myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't feel like I grew up wanting to be anyone else, but I definitely feel like I spent some time trying to figure out where I fit in, you know, growing up in a predominantly white environment, um, playing a predominantly white sport, volleyball, and then being a black girl is, you know, always looking for a space to fit in, to be accepted, uh, to understand my role in the larger landscape of sport and even, you know, my, this, my community. And to see where I am now, she'd be like, yo, you're doing dope shit. (laughs) She'd be, she'd be proud. So even when, you know, in those early years when you're 
when you think maybe you're not taking a step towards finding yourself, Mm -hmm. you are. You're taking these little steps that maybe aren't as noticeable in the moment. And then you get to a space like you described three years ago, five years ago, where all of a sudden stuff starts shifting really Mm. significantly. Mm -hmm. What would you say about looking back on those little steps you took as, you know, a young woman, a young black woman who, like you said, was trying to navigate becoming herself in predominantly white spaces that that maybe was was again significant but you have to look back now to notice the significance yeah when I think about where I got to where I am today it all makes it all leads to each other in retrospect Mm -hmm. like I can be like okay that led to this this led to that and now I am where I am now and for sport in particular playing volleyball I was you know inspired by my older sister I have Mm -hmm. three sisters my sister closest to me um, she played volleyball first and I grew up wanting to be like her. My dad played professional football. So I'd been around sports my whole life and volleyball was something new, challenging, unknown, even though my sister played, um, it was, it was unknown. And, and there's a thread I think about my life around me choosing to do things that feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and kind of throwing myself in the fire and, and very much adopting the sink or swim mentality, but choosing to rise above all the time and call it determination and grit, perseverance. There is a resilience, I think, that's in me from my parents that's definitely led me to incredible opportunities, um, incredible communities, friendships, moving to Chicago. I didn't know anyone moving here. And it was an opportunity I got to work at Northwestern University and patient data and health, you know, health research, which is right. so random. Um, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do this scary thing. And You know, when I think about going to school at the University of Tennessee, I didn't know anything about the state of Tennessee. My dad, as a black male, was like, you don't go to school below the Mason-Dixon line. Like, why are we even considering this? Yeah. And I could have gone to Ohio State. I looked at Michigan, but I was like, I I don't want to know anyone. I want to be fresh, new, unknown, and be able to create my own path in it. Random question. Were you there at the same time as Candace Parker? I just missed Candace Parker, but Pat Summit was still there, Mm -hmm. and um, I became really good friends with a couple of Lady Vols uh, during that time. but Just a historic program. That Pat would always come in whenever we went to the NCAA tournament yeah. and talk to us. And just her passion, talking about competing and elevating, and especially the tournament. I mean, I can envision sitting in front of her just like we are now. Yeah. She, like, turns red. She just, like, you can see, like, the energies build up in her. And the way she was able to inject that passion and focus Mm -hmm. into her players and then the team as a program was just incredible. I mean, incredible. I mean, her impact, obviously what she did with that program, everyone knows her for what she did Mm. with that program. But even beyond that program, her impact is so significant. Like she is someone who changed the world. Yeah. And inspired and impacted so many people again beyond Tennessee beyond Tennessee women's basketball but something you said in your previous answer about being attracted to challenges I love that because I I relate to it and I think a lot of I actually think there's a lot of people out there that relate to it and sometimes get deterred because of the fear that like comes with being attracted to challenges so as young Kayla what was that first challenge that you remember being attracted to and being like (laughs) Fuck it, I'm going in. I'm going in. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first challenge I, I really feel was volleyball. Uh-huh. Um, so I started playing when I was in eighth grade and or seventh grade and then really got into more elite playing in eighth grade and 
I had the opportunity my freshman year um, to play on varsity and mm-hmm. then also on an 18s team. So 17, 18s team and having to meet with myself and be like, okay, Kayla, you have, you're athletic. And then that's a whole separate, you know, concept of like, you're just, you know, you're just a black girl that's an athlete. You're not a volleyball player, which I think a lot of um, black athletes can definitely relate to as far as just being a talent and not being the skilled position, Mm -hmm. not being, you know, being the receiver, not the quarterback, not being the brain, you're just a body. Mm -hmm. And so having to understand that you wouldn't be here unless someone believed in you. And I was fortunate to have really incredible coaches, male and female coaches that definitely believed in me as an athlete and then also as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even more so as a leader, you know what I mean? You're not just here to hit a ball and, you know, run some slides. You're here to actually have an impact on your team and lead and make strategic decisions on and off the court that are going to impact the success of all of us. So I think saying yes to volleyball was the first time, like I didn't grow up watching volleyball besides my older sister. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's two years older than me, so there wasn't much I saw. Saying, How old were you when you started playing? Um, 13. Okay. Yeah, I was 13. So having, and I didn't grow up playing many sports either, which I think is surprising. That's so surprising. Yeah. That's so surprising. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely rebel against doing some things as far as community things and like sport just because I was, I was afraid of failing. Ugh. So I didn't really get into a lot of sports. And honestly, my parents just didn't have the time and the resources to put me in a lot of them. But I tried back. Tried basketball when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, it wasn't for me because shockingly, there was too much running, which the life I live now is okay. <laughs> okay. Too much running. Anybody that's listening obviously knows Kayla, or I would assume. And if you don't, yeah. just go to her Instagram. Just take one quick trip to her Instagram and that you're going to realize why that statement is so funny. <laughs> that's just shocking to yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was definitely a recreational sport kid. I loved kickball and t-ball and, yeah, you yeah. know, like. Tag, Red Rover, uh-huh. all that stuff, like put me in organized sports. It was just, it was too much for me. Yeah. And I think it's just about finding your niche, finding what feels good, finding your community in anything you do. And when you're in that environment that um, fosters growth, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Where do you think you would be without sport then? Because so many of my guests on the podcast, actually all of them obviously are re- tied to sports. This is yeah. a sports podcast about women in sports. <laughs> and so obviously sport influenced, I would say everyone's career that that comes on the podcast, but I'm interested in how it influenced your life because everyone's answer to that is so different. Yeah. I honestly couldn't imagine where I would be without sport. I just, it has shaped so much of not only my life, but also who I am and led me to where I am today. When I think about when I was younger, it was structure. It mm-hmm. was, you know, my reason. I'm a Capricorn, so I'm already just like a levelist. <laughs> Dave's here, agreeing. Dave's a Capricorn too. Shout out hey. to Dave. Our Capricorn, he's helping us out. <laughs> love my Capricorn. So I love a list. I love structure. I love order. It, you know, and sports for me just provided that in a way that also was yes, competitive, but competitive more so with myself. Yes. And I loved practice. I loved the grind in practice. I love taking all the reps. I love, I'm a workhorse. And that was my nickname in high school. It was my nickname in college. Mm -hmm. That I would just play, 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 rep after rep after rep. Games are awesome. Like, don't get me wrong. We love the lights. We love to compete. But sport definitely showed me that I can push my edge. I can meet my edge and push past it. Yeah. When I I think that I have to give up or feel like I'm too tired, there's always that next gear I can kick into if I just get past the mental block in my head, you know? (sighs) Oh, I love that so much because as someone who doesn't 
necessarily relate to that fully. I could see it, acknowledge it, and appreciate it. And I'm so intrigued by it because for me, when I'm, again, like in the gym or I'm experiencing a challenge, my first reaction is to give up a little bit. Sure, And it's actually really hard for me to push past that that thought of like, girl, you can't do this. (laughs) Like, I really have to hype myself up to push past the struggle in that moment. I I think that's something we all in certain areas have to work through, right? Like yeah. those those perceived limits that we ho- have for ourselves. And the one thing I always come back to is just, you know, the cliche, why not me? Why not now? Yeah. And knowing that I've been through hard shit, especially now, you know, yeah. I'm about to be 33. Like if I, if I can get past some, you know, losing both of my parents, I can get one more rep in the gym. Like 100. we can do this. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad we're, we're getting into this, this topic because yeah. Looking back at my life, there's struggles that I, I've been through that I know shaped me. And they're just, they're not good struggles. It's yeah. not something you would ever want to experience or wish to experience. I lost my dad when I was really young. Yeah. You and I have really connected deeply um, about the loss that we've experienced in our life. And I look back and I know that that struggle made me who I am mm-hmm. in a way that had that not happened, I, I would be undoubtedly an entirely different person. And I'm not saying that to say that I'm glad that I experienced that. Yeah. But my question to you is just about struggle and about unimaginable struggle and how you find the light in that in a way that can turn into a positive direction in, in your life and in your career. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things in life that we're all, you know, there's two things we're guaranteed in life and dark reality is death and taxes. Mm-hmm. The latter, we, I wish we could, you know, some people evade, but yeah. <laughs> it eventually catches up. Um, <clears throat> but when it comes to unmanageable struggle and loss, especially like death of a parent or a loved one or a friend or, you know, a family member or sibling, it's one of those experiences that brings you to yourself. Like, yeah. it, like it literally rips the rug right underneath your feet and the way I explain to people is that it's it's losing your safety net you know my dad passed away in 2012 2016 excuse me um unexpected heart attack my mom passed away in 2019 after you know bouts of fighting with cancer and eventually she passed away and I think about same thing you just said I would not be who I am today or where I am today if not having to go through that and again am would I want that to happen absolutely not you know what I mean but I was listening to a podcast um, with Anderson Cooper talking about grief and especially it's an incredible podcast. I highly recommend, especially during, you know, seasons of celebration. It's hard to, mm. to feel joy when all you feel is sadness. Yeah. He was interviewing Stephen Colbert and he was sharing that, you know, in order to be grateful for this life that we all have, we have to be grateful for all of it, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. And you don't you're not able to, I think, really appreciate what sunshine really feels like and what the good feels like without the drastic contrast Uh and it's hard it's really hard to wake up every morning for me especially when you can relate not having that safety net there Uh but I will say I really think that's what pushed me you know that really was like Kayla you're here to make your parent continue to make your parents proud and everything you do is a represent as a reflection of the sacrifices they made and also a celebration of everything they did you know I think to sit here and have the burden of my parents on my back could be a lot, a lot, right. could be a lot to carry. But in it, I was forced to create a lot of really intense habits that I have now. So when I think about taking care of my mom, like I said, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012 that came back 
2016 and eventually spread to her brain in 2019. So I'd been her caregiver twice. Um, first time I was at the University of Cincinnati coaching, assistant coach at volley- volleyball, and I ended up resigning to, to be her caregiver. And then the second time I was living in Chicago and went back four months before she passed away. And the first time showed me how important it was for me to take care of myself in order to take care of her. I mean, at the time I was 26. I had no kids, no pet, no nothing. I had to take care of my mother. Like I really struggled with trying to be a young person and then also having to care for the person that cared for me. And then in 2019, when her cancer came back, I was like, I already know how to do this. I know what I ha- I know what I need to make sure I'm good to make sure she's good. And so one of the things people always say to me, they're like, how are you able to get up at 5 a.m.? How do you have all this, all this structure, all these habits? Well, one, from sport, in order to get to the championship, in order to play, you have to be really committed and have this structure around your support to your goals. For me, everyday championship was taking care of my mom. So I had to sh- I had to wake up during a time where I knew she wasn't awake, which was at 4 a.m. to go work out from 5 to 6 because 7 o'clock, light clockwork, my mom was staying in a, a transitional care facility. She would, if I wasn't there by 7.02, where are you? And I'm like, mom, I'm on my mom, way. Mom, we love it. We I know, love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, we love that you're on Kayla like that. I mean, and you wanted to see her face first thing, 7 a.m. First, first thing, 7 a.m. So it's, not to say that you can't learn big life skills and in in understand how to navigate challenging moments um, through just everyday life, but it's really those really hard moments that kind of like bring you to your knees Ugh. that you have to like then also look in the mirror and be like, we we got to figure this out, and uh-huh. it's it's you, it's you. That's so interesting. You say that because these these challenging moments like you just described that bring you to your knees there's obviously always a lesson in them and a lot of times I think the more comfortable thing is for people to turn away from the lesson mm-hmm. and hide from the lesson and sit in in the why me which is yep. totally understandable yeah the why me is like the most understandable question I think anybody yeah. could ask but the lesson is how you how you grow from it um, without letting it, you know, take you under. Yeah. You know, the lesson is what allows you to be reborn from a really difficult experience. But I'm interested in understanding the caregiver aspect with your mom. You know, that's an unimaginable experience, but requires so much presence Mm -hmm. in just and in, in almost something that you don't want to be present for, like yeah. you're living through it and it requires presence of you, you to, to be in every moment and be present with your mother. And I imagine you almost, yeah, you don't want to be. So how, how did that experience teach you about presence and the importance of presence, not only with your people every single day, but in, in everything that you show up for? That last part you said, I think, is that it's everything you show up for and understanding, really understanding that, like, our time here, sorry, I'm emotional, isn't promised. And whenever I speak with people or meet with people, I really try to impress that upon them is that these goals you have, this time you have with the people that you care about, it really isn't promised. You know what I mean? And we live each day thinking we have tomorrow. And so having lived through taking care of my mom where the small wins really were her swallowing food that day or her being able to sit up on her own, you're able to have a greater appreciation for the time you have 
excuse me, and being her caregiver taught me that this is the only moment, this could be the only moment. And if I'm going to be here, I have to be here with all of me. And so knowing that, you know, our relationship definitely changed during that time, me looking at my mom to take care of me. Now my mom was looking at me to take care of her. So I wouldn't change that time I had with her for anything. Excuse me. And, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything because in any other situation, if I you know, was married and had kids or had other responsibilities, I wouldn't be able to be with her. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that our relationship definitely changed from me looking at her for the answer and now her looking at me for the answer was really, really special. So the time we get with the people we love, the time we have even with strangers on the street, you never know what someone's going through. You never know what they'll need to actually, you know, continue moving forward. But it's the keep showing up piece. And when you're there, give all of you, you know, a phrase I really love is that your presence is a present. It really, really is. And when you're with people, they understand when you're fully there. So, excuse me, my sisters and I are together making sure we're putting our phones down during meals. If I'm in a conversation with someone making eye contact, Mm -hmm. because even if it's something that feels not special or it just feels like you're passing the ordinary. It, it could be really, really impactful at the grocery store. When someone's bagging your groceries, like say, thanks Annie. And they're like, Oh, like they know my yeah, name. I'm in you. <laughs> they're like, how do you know your name? Like you have a name tag. On. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, the world that we live in now that's moving a million miles a minute, that's social media that we're capturing a lot, but we're not in a lot. Yeah. Um, at the end of my days and in, in thinking about my mom and I spoke at her service, um, which was an experience I was able to, I actually read what I was going to read at her service. I read to her before she passed. So it was like giving her flowers where she was still there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not about how many likes you got or how many views you got or how viral you went. It's the impact you had on people. And yeah. that happened. That can only happen when you're present. 100%. Um, okay. I have to share a story now because I, you and I have connected about so many things and, and one of them. It's a weird connection we have, but I I appreciate it because it's just something that not everyone fully understands, and that is loss. And this last year, I lost my grandma, and it's it's weird when you know it's a weird thing when you know you're gonna lose someone. Yeah. Because, not to say it's better or worse, it's just weird because you think about all these things you're gonna mm-hmm. say, all these ways you want to say goodbye, and then that becomes something you you overthink. So. Anyways, it was a similar experience you had with your mom where I, I knew my I was going to lose my grandma and she had dementia. And towards the end, she wasn't able to connect. She wasn't able to acknowledge really who, who she was talking to. Her memory was just gone. And so I walked in the house and my mom had warned me. She's like, she's, you know, she's really not in the best of places. I'm like, whatever. Like, I just want to <laughs> see my grandma. So I walk in the house and I'm like, hey, Graham. And she was leaving and she pops up. She's like, hello. So immediately I just knew it was going to be a moment. And I wanted to tell her about this guy winning Mm -hmm. the championship because my whole life, my grandma had told me these stories about like women in sports and how like when she was growing up, this is how things were done. And she wasn't allowed to play full court basketball. And she was just always encouraging me and my fearlessness because she had that fearlessness and yeah. she didn't always get to use it. Yeah. So anyways, I wanted to tell her the story about this guy and they won the championship and they're about to try and, and go for a second. 
and it's it was a season that she followed as best as she could. She always read the stories and she watched all the games. And so, yeah, I just I started by telling her about how Candace Parker came home and then Allie Quigley and Courtney Vandersloot, the two franchise players, helped yeah. lead this this organization, this team of women to Chicago's first WNBA championship. And when I finished, she was like, that is so wonderful. <laughs> like she was there yeah. for it. And it was just moments like that, like yeah. you said, where where the presence, as difficult as it is. Yeah. It, it brings back so much value to your life. Like that's a moment that I will never forget for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And it, it will impact me for, for the rest of my life. And, you know, something else you and I have spoken about, which I, I want to uh, honor these, these people by sharing this is, is just that despite the loss, you still have a relationship with these people sure which I say that and sometimes I think people are a little caught off guard they're like what do you mean like I talk to my grandma and Mm -hmm. I can feel her presence Mm -hmm. when she's around my dad too like I can feel I can actually feel their presence so how do you still connect with the people you've lost and how do they still impact your life even though you know they aren't physically here yeah when I think about my life now when I was saying earlier as far as to be where I am today, so looking back now, three years without either my parent, they are co-creators in this in getting me to where I am today. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Excuse me. And when I think about how I still connect with them, it's really in the small whispers. Like there aren't super big moments. If I'm doing something athletic related, I'll like speak to my dad because he was the one I would call before games. And we didn't have the greatest relationship growing up. But when I got into college, as far as from being an athlete, he got that. You know, yeah. My mom would be like, just go out and have fun. Make sure you don't, but, but also <laughs> like, like the shade. Yeah. My mom was like, go out, have fun. But like, don't wear that low, low ponytail because you know I don't like it. And I'm like, all right. And my dad's like way more tactical and strategy. <laughs> so, here's what you need to I know, do yeah, here's to what get you, the Yeah, win. right. And so... Like when I ran um, Speed Project uh, last March, so running from L.A. to Vegas with five other women, uh, I I thought about my dad a lot. And I actually wrote down in my hand, you are strong, you are capable, um, you are protected. Mm -hmm. And that protected piece is where my parents always come in with me, whether I'm running in, you know, throughout Chicago or I'm in a race or I'm flying, just knowing that they're always with me. So anytime I'm competing, I speak to my dad. Anytime I'm just quiet and still moments I need to rest, I think about my mom and there's always a way that they come into my life, whether it's through an opportunity, whether it's just through like I lose something and it randomly shows up. And it's weird to share that because people don't understand right. that unless like I'll look everywhere for something everywhere, like every pocket, every bag, everything. And then it'll just pop up like on my counter. I'm yep. like, All right. Like, well, you know what I mean? How did and that happen? Knowing that the people that are no longer physically here, I believe, are so energetically here mm-hmm. and spiritually here. And if you continue that conversation um, and use, you know, even present language like my mom is and mm-hmm. my mom, my dad is. Um, and when I have kids, I want to show them, you know, videos and pictures of my parents so they understand who they are still mm-hmm. because they physically are not be here. But I am the representation of them, you know, embodied. So. It's just an ongoing conversation still, a relationship. That's very beautiful. And like I said, I relate to that very much. Something you mentioned earlier just about your, well, actually not something you mentioned earlier, but something we're going to get into and, and that I just know about you is, yeah, you've you've changed quite a bit throughout <laughs> your life. Yeah. 
So before some of those changes took place, what was your intention at Tennessee? What were you studying and what did you think was going to be your future? So this is where looking back at all, like everything I went through makes sense, which is wild. Yeah. You know, you which wait, pause for a second, because when you're in it. It's the fucking worst. Excuse, I'm sorry. I'm going to swear. I'm a cursor. But it sucks. It's yeah. so hard. And then magically, you'll hit a moment, you'll hit a stride where you, yep, you look in the rear view and you're like, wait a second. That was exactly as it should be. No complaints. No. But, but in it, but a ton of complaints. Tons, Ton of complaints, tons of confusion, ton of unsure and... I th- I don't know if this people really know this much about my background, which is why what I'm going to share blows my mind anytime I share it. So I went to school at the University of Tennessee, mm-hmm. Knoxville. Um, I wanted to be an abnormal psych. Um, I studied abnormal psych to start with. I wanted to be in psychology, a psychologist. And it honestly, I love studying human behavior. I love studying the mind, love all of it. But my, I had one professor that just like was really into PowerPoints and ruined it for me. I was like, it's <laughs> got to be more than. Should we name them? <laughs> this I'm just kidding. Be, right, right. It has to be. I couldn't tell you his Breaking name. Breaking news. <laughs> I just, I couldn't um, do PowerPoints for another, I don't know, six years. So my, as far as studying, um, my undergrad was in environmental issues and globalization. Mm-hmm. So thinking about access to resources and building communities. And then um, I tore my ACL my senior year of college. Mm-hmm. So I was there for one more year. Uh, so I got my master's in sports psych and motor behavior. So mobility and movement. Mm-hmm. And my under my um, minor was gerontology. So the study of death and dying. Which is what? Yeah, which is really wild. So I learned about bereavement in funeral homes and like last wishes. And I'm 20 and I'm just like this. I what drew you to that? So I my grandpa, so my mom's dad, um, it was just honestly a G, like the dopest human <laughs> ever from Queens, New York, yeah. badass, like was in the army, like snuck his way into the army, like part of the first airborne, just wow. like that dude, like carried an obscene amount of cash and a, and a money roll. Like, you know what I mean? Like he was just oh, like, we, we don't it. ask questions, we love it. And <laughs> I don't know what he's into. I don't know. Like well, we ended up moving, having to clean out his house. Like stuff was found in the walls, just like that. You know right. what I mean? And so um, he ended up passing away when I was 17 and just seeing my mom really struggle with losing her dad. And her Mm -hmm. mom had passed away Christmas Eve before my sister was born. So my mom had gone through from past, I think, 25 on without her mom. And then her dad passed away when I was 17. So I had to deal with loss really young, too. And... um, I it just I don't know I just love the I love the aging population yeah I love the like excuse me my language but like I don't give a fuckness about yeah. older people yeah. I just like you know I've lived my life I paid my dues I've paid my taxes yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm here gonna just be me I'm just gonna be me and so um, none of my major really I, at the time led to anything because I didn't have one career goal I was looking towards there wasn't like I want especially in environmental issues and globalization um, there was nothing specifically I wanted to wanted to be I just like definitely was always drawn to certain topics and that's how I kind of navigated college um, which isn't really I mean when you think about it it doesn't really give this most solid plan post but I was like we'll see what happens but I think that's the beautiful thing because I I can relate to that to an extent and I have so many young people reach out about 
what's the what's the mm. game plan? What's the path? Like, how do I do this? And the answer is however the fuck you want. Totally. Like, yeah, you could be studying everything you just studied yep. and end up where you are because it's it's what you're meant for. And yeah. You absolutely have to make decisions that contribute to sure. you finding that path for sure. It's not like what's meant for you is just going to magically <laughs> yeah. land in your lap in a beautiful packaged box. Yeah. Like that's not how it happens. But I think the message is don't overwhelm yourself with doing what you think you should be sure. doing to reach a, a, a goal or a yeah. standard or a point in your life. Know that by choosing what feels right to you, what you're intrigued by, what you appreciate, what you yeah. like is going to lead you in that direction entirely i think you you create your path while you're walking in it and if you don't recognize it's happening during the time when you look back you're like oh this is how it happened so i go to school for environmental issues and globalization minor in gerontology death and dying and sports behavior and motor behavior um and then once I graduated, I played overseas. So I played in Finland for a season. It was great. It really wasn't for me. I was never really chasing a pro career just because I knew what it took me out of my life. And I kind of mm-hmm. just wanted to live life when I, once I was done playing. Um, and then I coached at the University of Cincinnati for two seasons before resigning to go back home to Cleveland, take care of my mom. And during my time in Cleveland, I was working at the Cleveland Clinic in the Cancer Institute. So I was in patient services, so directly patient-facing, building those relationships, Mm -hmm. kind of using a lot of those skills I learned in college, some around, you know, gerontology and bereavement, but also just um, identifying different backgrounds, different experiences, making people feel comfortable when they're getting their cancer treatment. And Mm -hmm. I got to see my mom, which was really great when she would go in. Um, And then I had the opportunity to move to Chicago and work for Northwestern at which time I really struggled with because I was leaving my mom. And that was, I think, the first situation where I had to kind of reconcile that the relationship with my mom is a little different, that Mm -hmm. she doesn't need me as much as I think I do. And she she told me, she was like, do I want you to stay in my house forever? Sure. She's like, but will you resent me? Yes. So you need to go. And that was one of the hardest things I had to do was leave my mom. But she understood and she always pushed me to go grow and spread my own wings. So I moved to Chicago, worked at Northwestern University, patient data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of patient research and clinical studies, mm-hmm. uh, at which time then I got into like, I got exposed to the fitness and wellness community. community but there'd yeah. always been a thread around serving, you know, being in service of other people, health and wellness, uh, and just figuring it out as I go. Mm-hmm. Was there a specific moment when you moved to Chicago or even before that that you started to become aware of this change in, in, in your career where, where you were going to build yourself to become a brand? Or was it, it this slow uh, chipping away that, yeah, before you knew it, you're like, this is what this is. This is where I really need to to go with my life. Uh, a slow chipping away. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I was raised to be very humble. You know, I didn't brag very much. I didn't really like being in the spotlight. I really felt, and and still do to a certain degree, I think it just looks different depending on what I'm doing, that my role, my greatest way to serve or impact in this lifetime is in the background because I I was uncomfortable being in the spotlight. I didn't really want the attention. I really didn't know how to manage it. Um, But if I think, if I look back to all the opportunities I had, even in college and and before that, like I was always picked to speak. My coach loved when I, you know, did on camera stuff because I could keep it PC and knew exactly what to say. We love the PC player. Not me, not me. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Let me Annie tell you. Goes, yeah. Annie stand in the back. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut. Um, but I I was fortunate enough that when I moved here to be around people 
who elevated me and also helped me see like the one thing I say humbly, but I am grateful that I was told and I still don't know what it means. I think I'm still figuring it out. It's like, they're like, Kayla, you're a star. Like mm-hmm. you're, you just have that energy, that personality, you know, when people meet you, they feel comfortable. And for me, I'm just like, I'm Kayla. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't really know what, I don't experience myself. And I, I still have a self time. I mean, excuse me, a hard time self-actualizing at time and what that means and how to really harness all of that in a way that is bigger than I guess what it's, you know, becoming. Mm-hmm. But when I think about, the brand that is Kayla, that is fit and full by Kayla, it, it was a slow build and just constantly sharing and being pulled to what my truth was and what I was interested in. So I was so thankful you were able to come on this podcast for so many reasons, but one of the main ones is because of how different your story is compared to previous guests. I've had a lot of reporters on and and people in the WNBA and your story is so so different from that in that again you've you've created you are your business and that to me when I think about that has to be a scary thing and because for me I get a lot of comfort from stability Mm -hmm. and knowing where my next paycheck is coming and knowing how everything is going to go essentially and I think there are a lot of listeners that yeah, are going to have careers like yours or are embarking on careers like yours and can, again, learn from your experience. So when you took that jump from, you know, a full-time job into now you are your full-time job, what were some of your biggest fears and how did you overcome them? How did you move past them? How did you find inspiration from them? (sighs) Well, the jump was more of like, a shove. So, and let <laughs> me, let me explain why. Okay. So once I was at uh, Northwestern mm-hmm. uh, University, I had the opportunity, was approached by formerly WW, now again, Weight Watchers, to mm-hmm. join them as a digital coach. So we're on the digital platform doing behavior change, so helping people build healthy habits um, for their everyday, you know, helping them understand how to drink more water, how to get in more movement, mindset things. And it was my first time being in a position and working a job that was so me. Like mm-hmm. it was just everything I was super excited about and really into and spent my you know, spare time reading and listening to was about health, wellness, behavior change. Within that, you know, each there was nine of us coaches on this platform called Digital 360. We had production teams. So each coach had their own little producer team. We had someone on content and graphics and someone, you know, producing our live segments. But within the 18 months that I worked with Weight Watchers, um, I was it was basically like running my own team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we had assignments that we had to hit, but essentially we were creating the content. I was writing on the captions. I was shooting everything. I was already kind of in this entrepreneurial s- space, mm-hmm. but under the umbrella of a corporation. Mm-hmm. And then now fast forward went from when I started to May of 2022. So this mm-hmm. year, um, the program was sunset. So within that, they laid off 98% of the staff and the team for, for Digital 360, including all nine coaches, including myself. So it was my first time I'd ever been laid off. It was my first time um, having to figure out what's next without having something already working in the background. And it was the third time, like having, a, you know, in a way, a rug pulled out from underneath me. And so losing my dad, losing my mom, and losing my job. And when I look back, it seems like every three years, there have become these major shifts of like, mm-hmm. Kayla, like, 
we need a, you're not understanding. My dad always called me hard headed. He's like, we need to do something drastic. And I'm like, it could be less drastic, dad. The drama you could spare me from. <laughs> dad, great. please spare her the yeah, drama. Yeah, like, don't need that, that much for drama. But it was more of like, okay, I received it as a moment. Like you have been working a job that feels so you. Mm-hmm. You can either in this moment freak out about the stability. Again, I'm a Capricorn. I'm the same way. And I crave that stability for it feels safe. It feels familiar. You know what I mean? And embedding, taking, you know, the chance on yourself and betting on yourself is very unknown. It's very, it's day to day. You're like, I, not only do I not know where my, you know, next paycheck's coming from, got to figure out health insurance. I got to figure out what I'm like, what my schedule looks like. I got to create these opportunities but living now three years with that unpredictability, with that, you know, lack of security, like even if I were to lose my job, I don't, you know, I don't have anyone to go back to. It's yeah. still me. Um, I was definitely shoved out of the nest, but I didn't feel like I was free falling. You know what I mean? I definitely felt like a little speed in the beginning, but then I just feel like I've been finding my rhythm. Like the, exactly like this little She's a feather, a little She's feather, a feather in, floating in, yeah. in the wind. And it's taken me some time to figure out what that looks like because there's so many influences from social media in particular around what entrepreneurship looks like, what being in the fitness industry looks like. Um, I think from me in particular, what people want to see from me versus what I'm passionate about sharing, Mm -hmm. which are definitely, for me, two different things. I think if you're going to be in a space of being your own brand and being your own business, it has to be what you're passionate about. People are going to want you to do a million things. Mm -hmm. They're going to want, you know... For me in particular, everyone wants me to like host a weekly class and like instruct all the time. And I'm like, I love providing information. I love teaching people how to fish. Let me do that, do the how. But I also love living my life too, mm-hmm. you know, and showing people the life that you can create and create and live when you choose a healthier lifestyle. So entrepreneurship is has been new for me since May, but mm-hmm. it's it's felt empowering and scary at the same time. <laughs> well, you are teaching us all so much with your vulnerability and your honesty. And before we get into that, I'm curious, do you have an agent or are you doing all of this yourself? Oh, I'm doing, I'm wearing all the hats. I'm doing all of it myself. We love that. We love that. Yeah. But I can imagine that's, that's exhausting too. I will say this and it's not, um, I'm not here to fulfill the archetype of a woman, especially a black woman that I can do it all myself and wear all yeah. the hats. Like that's not it. I'm, mm-hmm. I would prefer not to. Mm-hmm. I think just over time, how quickly things have shifted Uh, I haven't really had time to figure out who that is. But then even more so, I just recently, I mean, maybe a month or two ago, really was able to figure out where I needed help. Yeah. Because when you're building your own business and you're becoming your own brand, you got to know what it looks like before you pull people onto your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's I'm definitely at the at the point foreign agent so if anyone has any recommendations for them know. listen we're manifesting <laughs> I have to tell you I am a master manifester I'm not even saying that lightly like the yes, number of generator things, wait my friend just said that to me the you're other day she's like you might be a generator and yes. I'm like what the what we'll the get into F it. does that mean yeah. and she's like yeah yeah it's this this is mm-hmm. I'm like wait that's actually Your like how are things powerful. are happening so I am very careful with what I say out loud Actually, I'm not. Sometimes I say some crazy stuff. But so, like I said, one of the things that I think a lot of people relate to you on is is your vulnerability and your honesty or they're drawn to that. And I think it's because we're living in an age where everything is so Mm. like built for social media. Like, what do I want people to think when they see this? What do I want people to think about me when I post this? And it's like, 
uh, we're getting lost on just being ourselves. So was that always easy for you or do you have to do check-ins to remind yourself, okay, no matter what, no matter where I go, I I have there's strength in just be showing up as myself. I it's always been me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the written format, because when I was younger, I used to journal a lot mm-hmm. and I used to journal some serious feelings a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, until I was my the last time taking care of my mom, I still very much relied on writing to express how I feel and how I think. And I look back some of my early Instagram posts and it, it was always there. You know what I mean? Just being vulnerable and sharing my experience because I didn't really know how to fake anything other than the life that I'm living. And what's been really, I think, powerful about the Internet and social media and all these digital community and spaces is that, yes, vulnerability leads and it attracts people, but it makes people feel like less alone. And mm-hmm. it also makes them feel more normal that what they're going through and what they're experiencing um, isn't as unique and different than the person next to them. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's really easy for people to look at me. I'm like, wow, well, she's successful and, you know, she's in great shape and she's attractive and she's found this and that opportunity. Like she can't have it hard. And then when I share my story, it's like, oh, I had no idea. Right. And that's important. That's really important to share our stories because our stories are powerful, but they also bring us together closer as just human beings. 100%. And that connection, again, because of the way social media is built up, its connection is more is is just so important. It's mm-hmm. always been important, but now more so than ever because of the way social media, it's like a double-edged sword. It, it has the power to bring us together, but then it also has the power to keep us at an arm's distance. And like what you were saying earlier, yeah. it keeps us from being present. It's, it's just if you're not conscious of how it can prevent you from mm-hmm. finding that rhythm, finding that flow, it will. So you have worked with so many different people, so many different brands, so many different projects. You mentioned running from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. (laughs) You guys, when she did this, I'm not kidding you. Like it was, you'd be running morning, noon, night. I was in Chicago, like on social media. And the thing I love about Kayla is, there are times when she, yeah, she's she's got a million projects going on and I'm seeing something that is just like this experience that is blowing my mind. But I'm like, OK, she's got a lot going on right now. I'm not going to message her now. But I was on Instagram every day like, where's Kayla? What are they doing? Oh, my God. I, it was like a movie. I was like, yeah. your biggest fan. I love it. Um, so the drama side, how do you go about picking these projects, these partnerships, these brands to collaborate with, to work with, things that, yeah, you you want to to be present for, you want to be involved with. Sure. Um, so it's interesting, the brands I've worked with now and, and I am exclusively with now Lululemon. So mm-hmm. I'm a Lululemon ambassador mm-hmm. and I've been an ambassador for three years. But I have been doing work with them for four. Mm-hmm. And Lululemon came into my life um, literally the evening before my mom's first scan of her brain to figure mm-hmm. out what was going on with her. End of February or end of February, March, trying to figure out, you know, her health had changed. We just saw her a couple months before. Oh, it was March, excuse me. And we didn't really know what was going on. And I got this email from Lululemon saying, 
we're starting this program called Luminaries, identifying, I think it's like 20 women who are change makers, thought leaders in various industries from art to activism to fitness. And I was one of them for mm-hmm. fitness. And it was in Chicago during the time and I was in Cleveland and, um, you know, it had to be in person. So I, you know, I chatted with them about what we could do, how we can make it worth it. Unfortunately, it needs to be in person because we want to foster that community, that connection. Mm-hmm. So I would drive back and forth to four. It was for four months, one meeting a month, one sweat. And I would drive there and come back to Cleveland just for that sense of normalcy to be around women who are foraging forward despite everything they've been through. And I share that because whenever I work with brands in particular, there has to be a connection. There has to be an understanding and Lululemon's rooted in community, community work and development of their ambassadors. It's not just about throwing product. It's not about just the campaign. It's really getting to know and invest in the person and making space for them. Mm-hmm. So whenever I work with other brands, that's what means more to me um, is what do you stand for? Who are you impacting? Is it accessible? How can I create um, diversity amongst the brand itself? Uh, and underneath that is me like is this something that I would buy something I would wear something I want to be a part of so as far as the opportunities that have followed with Lulem in particular so I did the speed project running from LA to Vegas Mm -hmm. Um, I did hood to coast which is a shorter version of that it's from Mount Hood to the Pacific Ocean in in Portland Oregon I did that twice Um, it's they've come through brands now when people are looking I think it depends on your end goal right there's a there's there's so much money. There's so much money. So much money. In content creation. Like, like so much. Which also I think gets into another topic I want to get into is the power of the person who exactly. is the brand. Like, and especially people of color, especially women of color, especially black women. Yeah. You you are the bag. Yeah. You are <laughs> the on. prize. So I love, it. I love it. How do you navigate that in ensuring that a brand, a person, a company is coming to you for the right reasons and you're also aligned and and respected in in the project? The the last part of that as far as um respected is really what drives the first part as far as coming to you for the right reason because mm-hmm. if I'm going to be entirely honest, it, most brands need diversity, right? Yes. Most brands need way more diversity. Right. And I do that, a quick look at your feed, whoever it is. If the people on your feed are predominantly white or um, white passing, and mm-hmm. you're, it's, it's pretty obvious to me that you're looking to reach a different market. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I would want more brands to diversify their content creation, their audience, their consumer Um, but, and that can only happen in reaching out to people who look different than who they're used to reaching. Mm -hmm. That being said, one thing I always make a point to do is before we even talk about what compensation looks like is when they reach out like, Hey, you know, we have this campaign, we have this product. We'd love to send you to you. We'd love to work with you. I call out immediately like, Hey, you know, so glad you reached out. My community predominantly black would love to like to love. I think they could really benefit for this. Like Mm -hmm. I, I want them to know that I know why you're reaching out to me. And you know that I know. So mm-hmm. make sure like this price makes sense because mm-hmm. you're getting access to a community you n- like naturally would not. And you have to pay for that. You know, there it's it's pay to play. There It's pay to pay access. To play. There's pay to access. Mm-hmm. And the brands who say they don't have a budget, I'm like, you know what? That's fine. But then more often than not, they'll come back like, oh, well, we found, you know, this more much. And you're like, I'm Where'd sure you, find you did. It? Right. Where'd you find it? Yeah. Under your bed? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, there is. Cleaning out the closet. Where'd you find it? It. It's there. It's yeah. there. And um, 
especially now and even when I started, I was definitely interested more in the longer term partnerships of multi-month versus just the one-offs. Yeah. Because I'm personally, I'm not in the game to chase product like I don't right I don't in in the beginning I did a few product exchanges if it was something that I really liked like hey can you post this Mm -hmm. um for you know for a couple on your story and we'll give you this for free if it's something I really love then yeah that would make make sense and that's I also see it then as an opportunity to build a relationship long term Mm -hmm. but at this point um if someone reaches out to me like hey you know can we send you I don't know like this lotion or like this sneaker um and can you just post about it I'm like for free no like this is this is ad space right it took me time and effort to build yes. the following I have and pay for that time and effort and, and trust. trust yeah right. yeah and, and the trust part is really huge because especially you know the products that I'm I'm sharing is that they're the ones I have to stand by yeah and right I'm not going to just put something up there because you paid me x amount of dollars like mm-hmm. that's just that's not who I am mm-hmm. which isn't how how everybody operates so I think that a lot of people or I assume a lot of individuals who follow you that's something that they value so highly about you what is a piece of advice you have for other black women who are navigating the same career as you and who are are dealing with the same questions of what brands to work with what to say yes to what to say no to what to put on their social media yeah and how to always put themselves first and, and build their brand that way. Yeah, it starts with you. So mm-hmm. any any women, any black women looking to build a a brand or an identity specifically in health and wellness and fitness, it starts with you, but it also starts with the parts of you that you don't necessarily have to look like everyone else. Like mm-hmm. when I look at the health and wellness landscape, I think about what the aesthetic looks like on TikTok. It's predominantly white. It's this weird starter pack that everyone has the same glass, like beam of light, this like beige short biker short bra thing. And like, you know what I mean? Like it all looks the same. It, like wellness is very white. Dude, when you look at the, TikTok is like, very white. TikTok is very I'm just wild. Like, where I'm not is, ready this for is this on Amazon? Like, yeah. can I, like, is that where everyone gets it? It blows my mind. And, um, and, and then when you look at, you know, black women in the landscape of health, wellness, fitness, it's either like yoga instructors or spiritual or it's like um, like strength, mm-hmm. fitness. So it still leads a gap. For me, I think about behavior change. I think it's psychology. I think about um, um, nutrition. Like there, there's gaps within the wellness landscape. So I think the easy thing to do is to be inspired I don't want to say copy but inspired by the people you see in social media who have found success but if you were to go back in their stories I think mine being an example of that is how they found success is that they posted what was true to them Mm -hmm. they posted about themselves they shared what they were passionate about Mm -hmm. so finding the thing that is that you're passionate about and can speak about every day Mm -hmm. whether that's your life whether that's about a certain technique whether that's a certain sport whatever it is find like your niche as it relates to you and then within that, building a community really just comes with consistency and authenticity, showing up in a way time and time again that people can rely on you um, and sharing your story that is just true to you and that knowing it doesn't have to be perfect. If people would take the YouTube approach of mm-hmm. like when you're when you're copying someone or you're faking who you are, how quickly that gets shot down to like TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, I don't know, the other platforms. I think a lot of people would find more success and actually enjoyment in sharing their story. But then also knowing you don't have to do that. Like mm-hmm. if that's not for you, you don't have to do it. 
Now, when it comes to brands and working with brands, identify what your your end goal is. If you're in it for the bag, then go get the bag. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that either. But know that you're going to have to go to bat for yourself time and time again to get properly compensated um, as a black woman in a way that maybe white women wouldn't specifically for health and wellness and, mm-hmm. or just white creators wouldn't. Um, it, it takes you going to bat. It takes you getting a few no's and being okay with that. But then knowing that pays off, right? Like mm-hmm. the example that I give an early on example that taught me the importance of creating quality content over quantity and building a long-term relationship as I was working with a brand. Uh, this is when I had, I don't know, maybe like 4,000 followers, maybe. Um, and they're like, Hey, we can give you a thousand bucks to create, you know, three months of content. And that time, like, Oh, I'm like, okay, let's just try it. You know what I mean? Like this is my first paid. I was like a thousand or maybe it was like 1500. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, like 500 a month. And at that time there was no reels. So photos were easy. You know That wasn't part of it. So like 1500 bucks is like, oh, for photos, boom. We, that's, I right. mean, my photographer is like a hundred bucks. You know, like, boom. I, so, um, so I did like my first post for one month. I did like two type of carousel posts. And then my last post on the third month, I worked with my videographer. I was like, hey, like, let's do something something fun. Like, let's actually make a video out of this. this is, again, before reels. Mm-hmm. Um, let's really do it big. So that $1,000 or $1,500 blew up into like, hey, we want you to create a 30-second spot for Hulu. We'll pay you like fifteen grand. <gasps> yeah. So I'm like, there is... There's money there. Yeah. There's important quality over quantity and where I think certain understand what you're in it for, but understand the power of it too. Yeah. Yeah. And the power of a yes to something being an even bigger yes down the road. So wrapping up here, we are nearing our hour. I mean, I could keep talking to you for another hour. I am someone who, when I was starting out in my industry, really craved just like honest feedback Mm. and honest advice. Like, I don't want to hear that, oh, it just takes hard work and like, uh, what, you know, you got to be gritty. You got all these like cliches of like, yeah. oh, here's, yeah, here's what you got to do to be successful in this industry. Cause my, my career path didn't look like that. Like I graduated college and was bartending and working in a million different restaurants I that I kept getting fired from. Cause I just, it wasn't my main priority. I was like, if something right. in sports comes up, I'm sorry, but. I'm out. Yeah. And maybe that was disrespectful, but it also was just, I was, I knew what I was focused on. Anyways, was committed to that. So my question for you is how did, how did no's and is there a specific no or redirection that you experienced that you look back and are super thankful for or, or are, can look back now and, and see that, that redirection, that no was actually pointing you in the right direction. Or maybe there's not one. And also, I, I feel like whenever anyone asks me a question like that, it takes me a minute to think about. So sorry for no, interrupting your thought process. No, I, th- I think the best the best no's I have received uh-huh. are relationships I haven't worked out. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you brought this up. Are, are relationships that I that didn't work out because. As someone that is a, you know, former people pleaser and someone who is definitely feels one of my greatest purposes in this life is to serve others and to take care of people. As a caretaker, I'm just naturally a caretaker. Yeah. Um, I often can lose myself in relationships and lose my sight of what I want to 
have for myself and build mm-hmm. and grow. And when I'm all in, I'm all in, you know, blindly even. And so the relationships that didn't work out put me to myself again. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, made me have to figure out what I want, who I want, what I want to go forward in and um, taking time to really sit with myself and figure out what I want mm-hmm. is the greatest gift I've given myself a really, or a relationship has not working out has given myself because mm-hmm. when you're with someone, at least for me, it's, it's really easy to just give, 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 give. And if the other person is take, 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 you're never going to have that time to figure out like, how do you give back to yourself? Mm-hmm. So my time for myself has just been incredible. That's so valuable. I learned a really important lesson about identifying my emotions from mm. my last breakup. And looking back now, I can see the relationship had so much value. And I'm so thankful for that experience yeah. in my life because, like you said, it pointed me to a better version of myself. Yep. I wouldn't change a single thing about it. But when I was going through that loss, I was talking with my therapist and I'm like, I'm just so sad. I'm so upset. I'm so hurt. I'm so like all the emotions were very similar and they were all very connected to sadness. And she was like, what other emotions (laughs) can you express? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, there's a wide spectrum. You're not just happy or sad. And she wasn't trying to tell me how to feel, but she was like, what are some of these other emotions? And in identifying some of these other emotions I was experiencing, I was led to, like you said, a deeper version of myself, a Mm. better version of myself, Mm -hmm. a version of myself that could see that the loss I was experiencing in that moment was really a positive, was really uh, a moment of growth, was really a a good thing versus just, I'm sad. This is over. (laughs) I'm sad this happened. You are someone who, like like we've talked about on this entire episode, have excellent boundaries have established a very um a very structured life Mm -hmm. and you've kind of like mentioned in in certain answers that that's that's what you're drawn to it works for you has that always been easy and what's your advice for other people in building boundaries and structure that leads to more success yeah boundaries are hard yeah. Um, boundaries are really hard. And especially again, when you're someone who wants to make sure everyone's okay, you'll, you'll be the first to like kick a hole through your boundaries, like burn them, bur- fire torch them <laughs> down. What? Just like, you know, like exactly. What boundaries? What boundaries? Who don't know her? And um, they're, they're hard because what I've come to understand and I've talked to my therapist about is I have a hard time or had a, and still do hard time maintaining boundaries because I'm so concerned how the other person's going to feel. Like yes. I don't want them to be upset. I don't want them to be offended um, if I say no or if I don't show up when I am not there. And what I've come to understand and share with other people in my own work is that if I'm not 100% in it or if I'm not committed to it, me saying yes is a disservice to the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. It's actually like it's not going to benefit in any way because I don't want to be there. <laughs> I'd rather be doing something else. So for me to set boundaries means I'm taking care of myself. And in that, it's actually enriching the relationships that I have with other people. So one boundary I'm really, really hard about, which I don't know if you have ever experienced and you might be acknowledge, like acknowledge it now or be aware of it now, is that I have a hard, before 8 a.m., I don't respond to any texts. Like even if I post on social media, even if someone has texted me, it's, I, no response comes from me usually so hard. until like 8.01. <laughs> you posted about this actually recently of like, it's okay not to respond yeah. to someone's text right away, no matter the urgency. I, I'm I'm botching what you what you actually said, but I related to that so hard because obviously my industry is like breaking news totally. and you gotta be on, on social media all the time. And if you're not, you're gonna miss something. Yeah. And true, there's an aspect of that that's like you have to honor to be good at your job. Yeah. But 
when you're off, Annie, it's okay to be fucking off. It's okay to be and off. And turn your phone off yeah. and not respond to the text about this story or yeah. that story or not engage with a reader or an email yeah. because no, you're not getting a hundred extra bucks because of your speed with which you answer. Yeah, yeah. Like, and think about it. If you're on all of the time, eventually that's going to crash and burn. Right. Like you can't, you can't sustain that over a long period of time. And so I only respond when I have the capacity. Like if I don't have the capacity right now in this moment, I'm not responding. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do you any, you know, the relationship, any benefit. How do you determine if you have the capacity? Um, I can, I can feel, feel it. it. Okay. Yeah. If I look at a text, actually, I had to respond to someone yesterday. It was a beautiful text. It was really wonderful, especially ones that are like, as I get a lot of like deep, heartfelt, emotional stuff, uh-huh. um, whether it's resonating with something I shared about my parents or a personal struggle. So when I read those and I'm like, whew, like, yeah. I'm like, whoa, I need, I need a minute to process um, what I want the response to be, but also be fully, again, present in my response versus uh-huh. like, sorry for that. Sorry that happened to you. But like, Hope it works out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels shallow. It feels disconnected. So I'm really hard before 8 a.m. It's like my protect my morning time. Like it is unless it's a an emergency, like a true emergency. No response till 8 to 1. Love that. Love that boundary. I'm going to practice it to my editor, anyone in industry (laughs) listening. I'm still available. (laughs) (laughs) The boundary is like a halfway boundary. We're working on it. Um, my last question for you is just about the future, which I think is is sometimes a little bit hard to answer, especially when you are someone who is so present and so appreciative of the moment and and just trying to stay in a state of presence. But what do you see as as your next chapter being? What what do you see next in your career, and what do you hope comes next in your career? Yeah, so I turn thirty three January seventh, which is a fun time in my life. I feel like nineteen ninety baby. Yes, you know it. I'm a Libra. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> uh, what I see next is honestly more of this, more mm-hmm. conversations, more. Um, of of me sharing my story and helping people navigate their own. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I could, like I said, I could not have imagined when I was younger, Kayla, that I would be where I am today, where I've been the face of an international campaign for Lululemon, how I've run almost a thousand miles this year, how I've like what? Yeah, like it's it's you know I have like I have a digital media host spot that's coming out soon. I've been mm-hmm. published. Like I couldn't have even imagined that, but. I see in the future more of myself coming out, which is why right now I kind of have a little space between me and Instagram in particular, because uh-huh. I think it, it's just not as you you can't bring as much as yourself into that space. Yeah. Um. So I see more speaking engagements. I see more traveling. I see more meetups. I see more time with people and helping them just honestly live a life and create the life they deserve and want to live. Kayla. <laughs> Listen, I can't thank you enough for for being your honest, vulnerable self on this podcast. And again, just because your story is something that I've learned and grown from, just our friendship. And so our listeners that are going to tune into this episode, I can already feel it in my soul are going to gain so much from your experience and what you shared here today. So on that journey towards more speaking engagements and more honest conversation, I am so thankful that you are willing to have one of these conversations with Equal Play. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack. 
and the shoulder like a passing lane? Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.